0: Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday on South podcast. I am Connor O'Keefe. Will uh, your boy came hungry today? Hungry, <laughs> hungry for what, Connor? Crow, all the crow. Uh, I had a belly full yesterday, but you know what? Today is a new day. The belly is ready to eat some more crow because Georgia punched Tennessee in the mouth, and <laughs> on top of that. I also said that I couldn't see LSU beating Bama, and I saw that was going to be a three-touchdown game that Bama was going to win. And then don't you know what? Brian Kelly just let out the ultimate victory cigar in year one and ended Alabama's playoff chances. And boy, was I wrong in the worst way. A wild, wild Saturday. Mm -hmm. Man, we got a million things to discuss. And by the way, (laughs) once again, I feel like this is the fourth time that we have done this podcast and you've been doing this through COVID. You have you have contracted COVID a, a significant amount in the last year plus.
1: um, Dude, yeah, this is my second time having COVID. So I don't even think I mentioned it in the last pod, but I had like all my buddies coming up for this game. We were going to get like the big like blow up LSU helmet. Like Brittany was going to cook and everything. And then I was feeling kind of icky at work on, on Thursday. I was like, I think I'll get tested. And I was like, all right, boys, we're out of here. So I was just me, Brittany and the cat screaming through my COVID lungs on Saturday. It was a great day. I still had a ton of fun.
0: Yes, it was. I... Uh... An unbelievable day for, for many an LSU fan, for Georgia fans, to, to just to see the way that things played out in, in the fashion that they did. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to dig into everything, I promise. So we're going to talk a whole lot about those two games. But before we do, so Texas Pete, wake up, and uh, Friday morning, there is a box sitting on the porch, and it had gotten there on Thursday. And for whatever reason, Lauren forgot to tell me that it was there on Thursday. I got home late from playing poker with my buddies Thursday night. It came Thursday night, and I opened the box Friday morning. And kid on Christmas, they sent like a dozen <laughs> bottles of sauce. I got the Texas Pete dust. We've got Texas Pete popcorn. I mean, mm-hmm. T-shirts. We got a sign. We, they, they sent the goods, the care package of all care packages. I have three different kinds of Texas Pete barbecue sauce that are just begging <sighs> to be used in chili. I've already tried the garlic sauce. I mean, the popcorn is out of this world. Marlar was texting me that he finished the entire bag like upon getting it, which <laughs> Pretty impressive even for him, but that's just how good it is. Texas Pete has so many unbelievable products that everybody needs to be able to try. If you don't know, Texas Pete has the spice and flavor that's kicking this football season up a notch. If you haven't tried the original hot sauce or their new traditional barbecue sauce, which, like I said, they got like three different kinds of barbecue sauce that they sent me. And I cannot wait to use these in some chili, on some chicken. It's going to be great. I'm very much looking forward to that. Do yourself a favor. Do not walk, run, grab yourself a bottle today. Visit texaspeat.com for recipes and hot apparel. Plus take 20% off your entire order with promo code Saturday down south. That is all one word, all caps, Saturday down south. Win big with Texas Pete when you sauce like you mean it. All right, well, it's crazy to think that Bama had the field stormed on it again. Mm-hmm. And we're opening with Tennessee, Georgia. Yep. Because for the first time in my life, I was wrong. The very first time. <laughs> Ever, you know, 0-1 for right now. (laughs) 0-1. Yeah, I mean, a couple more in the win column, but 0-1. We'll we'll just call it that. I'm sorry, Georgia fans. I'm sorry. I doubted this defense, and I was foolish to assume that Kirby Smart didn't spend every second of free time of trying to do everything he possibly could to make sure that Tennessee's offense wasn't going to be the thing that prevented him from winning another national championship. I was wrong to assume that we wouldn't see a vintage performance from a defense that lost eight players to the NFL draft eight. Mm-hmm. And not to mention Nolan Smith was in street clothes in this game and he's out for the yep. rest of the season. And Oh, just in case that wasn't enough, Robert Beal goes down in the third quarter and buddy, if there's none been of it more, matters. none of it, absolutely none of it mattered. Players scheme, whatever you name it, Georgia did it. If there's been a more defensive, A better defensive performance that we've seen in the playoff era, I'd be hard-pressed to find it. I was was trying to wrap my mind around it, and I truly could not come up with another example of a defensive performance against that type of offense, given the stakes and given Mm -hmm. what it could have meant for Georgia's season, and to to hold Tennessee without a touchdown for the first 55 minutes, number one offense in college football. Yeah, I mean, even
1: last year against that defense, we joked about the scripted plays. Hypo, you know, kind of got right down the field, and it's like that. It was nowhere. They kept reaching. I always like the the metaphor of you keep reaching your quiver
0: for arrows, and they're just not there. I I couldn't agree more. That that performance in that game was more impressive than any defensive performance that Georgia had last year with that all century defense. Think about it, because even mm-hmm. even in the national championship. You could point to ah, you know what? Bama didn't have this receiver, that receiver. Tennessee had all their dudes. There was mm-hmm. no, there was no excuse for for Tennessee. Oh, you know we didn't get this call here, we didn't get this call. Here. No, 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 Oh, it's, brother, the calls—that's a whole
1: different thing. But to your point, this is the healthiest
0: Cedric Tillman's probably been all year. And and Cedric Tillman, I thought that battle with Keely Ringo was really good. And we'll get to kind of some mm-hmm. of the plays, some of the plays later. But the the way that this played out with a Tennessee offense that had every reason to be feeling like. All right, you're, you're unstoppable at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was this was Hendon Hooker, the Heisman Trophy favorite, the leader of the, the, the best quick strike offense in the country who had already put up a 50-burger on Nick Saban. It wasn't like this was some early October thing where we're like, ah, Tennessee's been really good in non-conference play, and they beat up on Pitt. No, 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 no. This was proven. This is a group that has been <laughs> unbelievable. They went into Death Valley and put up 40 on an LSU defense that looks like it's playing out of its mind right now. And -hmm. this group showed up and was two steps behind Georgia all day. They didn't have a pass play of 20 yards, 20 yards, until Jalen Hyatt caught that pass on fourth down to set up the first and only Tennessee touchdown of the day with Mm -hmm. five minutes left in this game. And Georgia was all over Hendon Hooker in every possible way. Jalen Carter, man, he's back. He is back. PFF had him for... Oh, my God, that 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 hit when he when he got to hooker in the end zone. And for whatever reason, they spent 20 minutes reviewing that play, even though it was very. Still clear. got it wrong. Still got it wrong. How do, I have no idea how they got that wrong with the Tennessee offensive lineman is it, trying to get it out of the end zone. And his knee is clearly down. And mm-hmm. then like, now you oh, can yeah. fumble forward to the advancement of your team, a rule that we cleaned up in the 70s, folks. Yeah. And it wasn't even a fumble on on his part. Like he he was his knee was clearly down and they still didn't even right. call that. And then it ends up working out in Georgia's favor because then they're able to, to get the short field and then they're able to, to get a touchdown out of it. So kind of take what you will from that. But Jalen Carter was ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. so unbelievably good and was kind of the key force to not have Georgia feel like it needs to send seven or something like that. And they did they did things that you would expect them to do and they disguised blitzes in such a unique way. But I was just so wrong to assume that that Georgia would just be passive against Hendon mm-hmm. They had ten sacks all year. Do you know how many they had in this game? Five, six. They Ooh. sacked him six times. He had been sacked twelve times all year. That's it. They were hiding all the good plays, Connor. They were. I mean, <laughs> they were. And credit credit Will Muschamp. Credit Glenn Schumann. Credit credit this entire defensive staff for what they did to prepare for that. And having that game plan executed to a T, they pressured him on 20 of 47 dropbacks. I mean, how many times did it look like Hendon Hooker was standing back in the pocket and all of a sudden he, he just has like pressure from the tackle spot and he just can, is, is getting pushed back and it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily just the edge guys forcing him up in the pocket, but it's like, Oh man, this is just collapsing in a hurry. And look, and Hooker missed a few throws that he would like to have back for sure. And I thought if Hyatt had been able to track that one down early instead of coming up short on that a play that Hooker kind of overthrew him and then he gets that Hyatt gets tangled up with the rev, kind of limps off the field. Maybe it's a little mm-hmm. bit of a different day. Probably not. I mean probably not. Yeah. I mean, here's how crazy things were for them
1: too georgia comes out on that first drive and like looks kind of out of sorts like they look like they can't really move the football they're timid they fumble and then i immediately texted you like "Uh oh like here we go because that's exactly what happened to lsu and the fact that they held immediately when the defense took the field immediately set the tone held tennessee to a field goal they got like first down in that drive but like i was like oh yep here you go tennessee's gonna score here and then georgia's gonna be behind nope the defense immediately came on the field they were like you know what this is our situation and then how big was that home field? Every phase of Georgia's game looked like they were the empire, bro. Like you kind of felt like the beat going through that stadium, and they were just on one beat the entire game. And it was it looked like the Coliseum. I don't know how you win,
0: but seconds and none. As good of a college atmo- college football atmosphere. As you will probably ever see from from all accounts, there my my guy Perry is is texting me videos of it, and the scene is just incredible. And I'm like, you know, how does this compare to to Notre Dame 2019? He's like, oh, it's not, no comparison. Tony mm-hmm. Barnhart tweets, "I've been going to games at Sanford Stadium since 1964. Never heard it this loud, this mm-hmm. long. And what Georgia fans did, they showed up pissed off. They had what? Tennessee had like eight pre snap infractions in this. Oh game. yeah." I mean, it, it wasn't. I, I wouldn't necessarily compare it quite to to Arkansas last year, but it felt a whole lot closer to that than I certainly thought, and I was so wrong about that. Because... So, to your point about Arkansas, that's a really good one because obviously, which we, we watched that game together, and
1: that's a game I would compare to this. But to your point, that was so much earlier in the season. We think yeah. about Tennessee is post Bama win. This is a team that is bona fide at this point in college football. And they come in there and to your point, look almost as lost as Arkansas did, which we watched that game. And we just thought Arkansas is just not on the same level as Georgia.
0: It's, it's amazing to think about how this Georgia team can rise to the occasion so well against elite competition. And that sounds like such a basic <laughs> thing. It's like, Oh yeah, you expect the best teams in college football to do that. And then you have a day like Saturday where in the likes of Alabama and Clemson lose on the same day. And you're reminded what elite truly looks like in, I just can't say enough about the defensive game plan and execution. I mean, even mm-hmm. when it looks like early on, I thought Tillman was kind of having his way with that matchup against Ringo. And I I was one of those people. Where I was like, ah, maybe, maybe in the, in the preseason, we we're giving Ringo a little bit too much love because of obviously he makes the biggest defensive play in the history of Georgia football last year. Of course, we're gonna talk about that guy. He's a former five star. He's gonna be one of the first corners taken off the board in the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. But like, what does he really look like in some of these tough battles one-on-one when he's getting that best receiver? And he's got to line up against that every single time. And that's the difference between this year and last year. And I feel like hit, uh, he is that guy, pal. That's what we learned. Oh, Cause again, like, yeah, he just made that one place. Like, he made that play again. Actually, he might just be the guy who makes that play. <laughs> he, he just might be, I mean, dude just might be clutch. I mean, let, let <laughs> me be the first to say, I think Keely Ringo just steps up in those big time moments, that pick where hooker. I mean, that's, that's the ball that he hasn't overthrown for, an, for an interception all year. And he finally mm-hmm. did on that play where, you know, Tillman is, is I, I thought he looked like he was pretty much back. And he had like one play where he kind of hobbled off, but Mm-hmm. I mean, for the most part, I think he he would say like, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm good to go. But Georgia played a ton of press man. We talked about mm-hmm. how interesting it was going to be. See Kirby Smart game plan in this one. Do you take those chances in press man? And do mm-hmm. you say, let's let them try and see if they can beat us over the top? We're going to trust that we can get home with four or five. And they were willing to do that. Now I didn't do that the entire game, but the way that Starks and Smith and Ringo, like that entire Georgia secondary covered man, like mm-hmm. I just cannot say enough positive things about it. And I did not think they'd be able to hang with them. I didn't. I, mm-hmm. I absolutely didn't. And that group showed me so much. I mean, I, I just didn't think there was any world in which Georgia's defense would impose its will that convincingly against the Tennessee offense. And I, I'm gonna give quick real quick. You were talking about press man. This was like the first thing I ever said on the podcast
1: was about this hypo offense and how I wasn't sure that it could work against elite teams. And remember this, this was the first thing I ever said on the podcast. I was like, Yeah, they're eating the UCF or whatever, but that might not work. But what ended up happening was Tennessee had so much talent. That it counteracted that. So, Tennessee had seen these teams with good press man uh, corners, but they had all these dudes. You know, they had Brew. They had, you know, these receivers, the tight ends, the backs. They're all working together. And Georgia just showed, like, they trusted their dudes. They sent those dudes out there. They put them, like you said, in press man. They sent these exotic blitzes, and they were like, hey, beat us. That's fine. Beat us, dog. It was nothing. There was nothing weird or tricky to it. It was just like, you know what,
0: bro? Our dudes win. And Jay... Jalen Hyatt said afterwards, if you saw the quote from Dog Nation where he said, Georgia was way more physical than Alabama. Mm -hmm. We can look at the box score and assume that, but to hear a guy on the outside who came in leading the country and receiving touchdowns who has gotten what he has wanted pretty much the entire season come out Mm -hmm. and say that, it confirms what many of us saw with our own two eyes, which was – this Georgia defense played the exact type of game plan that it needed to contain this Tennessee offense. And it doesn't mean that others are going to be able to, to, to execute that. And who knows, because at, at, if any one of those things break down, and this is why the Tennessee offense has been so good. If mm-hmm. any one of those things breaks down, I think Tennessee is a much bigger day and it truly takes all 11 guys on the same mm-hmm. page, winning those one-on-one matchups, because if you don't, And if you lose, if you slip up, that's where Hooker can just pick you apart. And he had none of it. I mean, absolutely none of it. And in this game, he was outplayed by Stetson Bennett. It's very clear. (laughs) (laughs) He is the best quarterback in human history when um, he gets a fresh fade. I look good, (laughs) play good, clearly. (laughs) Uh, He's the best quarterback in human history when his phone number gets leaked by opposing fans. Loved the call me celebration mm-hmm. after that ridiculous run. When Stets- Emory
1: the lad was saying they played uh
0: call me maybe in the first, fourth quarter of the stadium. That's rad. Jeff's kiss. Lo- love it. When, when we're, when we're all on the same page and understanding mm-hmm. the significance of that. And uh he had two passing plays of 40 yards all year entering Saturday. And both were ridiculous. Brock Bowers plays that we talked about <laughs> at length on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And they had two in the first quarter of this game. To non-Brock Bowers guys. And that didn't even include like what Ladd had like a 37 yarder or something like that as well in the first quarter. And you're just like, man, the Georgia receivers are, are stepping up. And, and to me, that made such a a big difference early on when Arian Smith gets that like 52 yard catch. You're like, okay, Georgia can actually stretch the field. Well, mm-hmm. the one thing that we did say correctly about this game, the one thing was that the path for a Georgia victory was coming out, punching Tennessee in the mouth. Get yep. a multi-score lead early <laughs> and then kind of ride that out because once Tennessee kind of, fig- and I thought they, they figured some things out defensively. And if you kind of look at the way that, that it broke down uh, with George's offense in the second half, you're like, all right, this Tennessee defense, not a total doormat at all, but it's still about coming out executing early on and mm-hmm. Josh Heupel with the offense that we have said many a time could score a touchdown on the opening drive against the 85 bears. Oh yes. George was the, was the 85 bears. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed. in fact they may be better than the 85 maybe. Bears folks yeah and and to that point
1: dude like i said like we're talking about the the jimmies and joes like is like one of the only maybe the only team in america that has those that level of talent so that's not a fault of tennessee that is massive credit to georgia
0: like gosh those guys balled out today man or Ball, yesterday man. i guess yeah, uh, I, I didn't think there was rain in the forecast either. But <laughs> it, it comes on the broadcast and Brad is like saying, yeah, yes, yeah, rain just kind of came out of nowhere. And then it rains basically from the what middle of the third quarter for – for the rest of the game, but it just felt kind of fitting in that atmosphere. Yep,
1: that was poetic. I was thinking about that. Like, just imagine being in T- being Tennessee and watching like the stands
0: kind of sway back and forth, yeah. and the
1: raids like coming down. You're like, this is not good.
0: This is this is hell on earth. <laughs> I need to get out of here. It'd literally be anywhere else besides on this field today. Wherein mm-hmm. I-, I don't want to say with certainty. All right, everybody's you know everybody's kind of got their own mindsets here. But if I had found fi- if I find out you know in-, in the next life that Vince Dooley brought the rain for Georgia least surprising oh. thing ever. Um, mm-hmm. would not surprise me. The late Vince Dooley just called on the powers at B, said, Hey, let's make this happen. This is kind of what I feel like we need to be able to drive this home. And Georgia did. Um, I- I'm owning this. I, I absolutely, I- I'm going to face this. I'm not going to try and pretend like I was, like I was anywhere close to right in this one, because I was saying this for four months and, mm-hmm. and I ate so much crow on Saturday. Thank you to everybody who, who reached out those who were actually like, you know, Looking forward to hearing you eat some crow on the podcast on Sunday. And Not was, like you suck. I hope you die. Those people are never cool. <laughs> yeah, a few of those. It's like, all right, what are, what are we really doing here? It Say say what you want about me. I'm by no means an an, an expert picker or anything like that. But when I'm wrong, I try and own it. And mm-hmm. your boy was wrong. Matt Hayes and I were talking about it on the pod last week. And, <laughs> man, we were both wrong. We were absolutely both wrong to to doubt this Georgia defense and what they have done. And it's just it's unbelievable to watch. What Kirby has done and what he has created at Georgia, and we see, maybe, and we're going to talk about Bama in a second here. We see the way that it could be slipping at Bama and the discipline and those things, and Georgia just has all of it. They just, yeah. they just have all of it, and it's still wild for me to think that they haven't lost a regular season game in over two years. I mean, that's it one one loss in the last two years, and, it and was they got it back. And they got it back and they redeemed it and just pretended like, ah yeah, no big deal. We'll just redeem it and hold him without a touchdown for the first what, like 50 minutes of the national championship, whatever it was. Just mm-hmm. no big deal. Like that's just what they do. Um I'll say two. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was I was gonna I was gonna shift to Tennessee quickly just to to add some some perspective and then and then and then you know put a bow on on Georgia and kind of where they're at moving forward.
1: Let me say real quick on the eating crow thing. Uh, somebody like tagged you and luckily they always tag you. That's the best experience is I could just have my little drink and watch people just like on you. But I will say like we, we went through, you know, we both picked Tennessee, but we were sure to say, Hey, game script, here's how Georgia could win. And you nailed that aspect of it is that Georgia hit him in the mouth early. If not saying that you picked Georgia, but I'm saying we at least gave credence to both sides. So the people that are like, this was one sided. I don't hear that. Because yeah, at the end of I- the day, Every game has to have a winner and a loser. And I'll say, like, we've been more pro-Georgia than most, I mean, everybody. We picked them to beat Clemson to start last year. Like, if you oh, kind of go through it.
0: I, I didn't. I was wrong on that one, too. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I, <did>. I had <laughs> somebody <laughs> tweeted but... tweet at me that I, that I picked against them against Oregon in the season mm-hmm. over. I was like, oh, okay. Def, definitely did not pick Bo Nix Didn't to do that. Georgia. Yeah. But, but, but point yeah. being, this is, like, the only time. And it's also, to your point, like, that was, like, one of those,
1: like, bold and brash predictions in the offseason. And it just looked better by the day as Tennessee kept winning. So, yeah, like you
0: said, that's the game yeah, Georgia hasn't um hasn't got to that level yet of okay, they're no doubter to win a national championship, but how would you how would you possibly look at what happened on Saturday and be like, yeah, there's definitely another team that's more suited to do that than them with the way that things played out with Ohio State, with the way that things have played out even mm-hmm. with even with TCU. How about Ohio
1: State being second?
0: As a Georgia fan, I
1: would have the big S
0: word eating grin sitting there going, Oh, Northwestern, good job, sweetie. So true story. I tried to tweet four different times um, what I thought the playoff rankings would look like on Tuesday. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second Here, yeah. a playoff prediction after we talk about uh, Bama and LSU. But I tried to put 10 spaces. I tried to just hit return mm-hmm. between Georgia at number one and Ohio state at number two and Twitter wouldn't let me do it. It just showed one space. <laughs> and I eventually you texted him, like, You got to put periods or space. It's it deletes the, yeah. Yeah. I know. I hate that. Elon get on top of that. All right. Come it's, on, Elon priority. Number one here. Let's be real. Yeah, uh, but yeah, one last thing on Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Better days ahead for the offense. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I don't think the offense is is suddenly fraudulent. I think it ran into an immovable object, and that was the Georgia defense. I thought the defense actually responded pretty well after getting trucked in the first quarter when it looked mm-hmm. like they couldn't stop a thing. And I totally disagree with with Pat McAfee when he said in the first 10 minutes of college game day that it was an elimination game, especially not true after the way things played out with Alabama and Clemson. Mm-hmm. Tennessee could finish the regular season 11 and 1, potentially two top 10 wins because the silver lining was the LSU win just got even better. Obviously, one of those wins was going to get better. One of them was going to get worse because LSU mm-hmm. played each other. Stay woke if they're both moving in opposite directions. Regardless. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing. And I'm not trying to upset LSU fans by saying this, but two loss LSU against one loss Tennessee. Tennessee has the obvious head-to-head in Death Valley. Mm-hmm. If it comes down to that for the final fourth spot, I mean, that's going to Tennessee. Like that's
1: we're we're getting ahead of ourselves. But I think are. what happens
0: between now and then, because obviously unless you
1: would have a path to play Georgia at that point. So
0: anyway, yes, exactly, yeah, uh, plenty of scenarios in which the Vols can still sneak into the playoff. But obviously, Saturday, in my opinion, just all but locked it up for Georgia. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that looks. I mean, obviously, things can happen. Craziness can happen. They're playing at Mississippi State. They still got to play at Kentucky. You would assume that they're going to win those games. But still, I mean, just such a defiant statement from them. If Georgia isn't your number one team in the country, you're just a hater. Yep. That's Now they that's, have it. the two best wins. They have the Oregon win and the Tennessee win.
1: Equally convincing wins, by the way. Neither was ever kind of in doubt.
0: Yeah, is the, is the Georgia... Georgia win over Oregon now better than the Tennessee win over Alabama. I mean, oh, that's certainly. I mean, now Alabama's a 2 low team. Yeah, uh, nobody can beat that Georgia team. That Georgia team mm-hmm. was what we saw against Oregon. Th- the, that yep. that is the upside at that level. Nobody in college football has that upside. And even in the state of Georgia against right. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Look, even even as somebody who picked Ohio state to win a national championship preseason, Ohio state doesn't have that upside. They just don't. We've seen enough of them to know at this point that unless they really flip it into overdrive, they do not have that upside Georgia Mm -hmm. at its best. And with time to prepare, which they will have in a likely playoff or national championship scenario. Mm -hmm. Forget about it. I mean, forget about it. So they look like a lock to go to the SEC championship of course with those two games it, that is all but clinched now for them they would have to lose both of those games in order mm-hmm. to to not make it to the SEC championship with and you know Tennessee obviously would have to win out i'm just saying it now um i don't think i can pick against georgia at least straight up I, it's against the mm-hmm. spread's different i don't think i can pick against georgia the rest of the year yeah I, that died somewhere on Vince Dooley Field on Saturday. That did.
1: Yeah, you talked about that Ohio State matchup. Given the way they just played against Northwestern, they don't want to see Georgia. Ooh, no. they don't want to. See, they don't
0: want to see Georgia. Nope, no, they don't. Uh, it, and for those who are saying we glorify this because it, it's the SEC and and we we always just overhype these games, blah blah blah. Get out of here with that. Get out of here with that. Mm-hmm. That, that. That to me is just so foolish considering the SEC is 12-3 and three in playoff games that aren't against mm-hmm. SEC versus SEC. Meanwhile, the Big Ten has one playoff win in the last seven years, but Ohio State fans are still going to say what Ohio State fans are going to say. That's just mm-hmm. reality. Any more thoughts on that before we move on to a game that I, I think you might have a couple of thoughts on?
1: Just a few. Um, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think, like I said,
1: our praise for Tennessee um is not in vain. I think that Tennessee is still a very good football team think the things that Josh Heupel has done have been so far ahead of what we and anyone expected. I think that if you're a Tennessee fan, it, obviously you're sad the day after today. Or like, like, the day after yesterday, which is today, obviously, like, I get it. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, one of those classic, if I had told you, you were here. You know what I'm saying? Um, I think at the end of the day, Georgia has, they're the empire, man. They're the empire. And they've had years and years and years of Kirby recruiting. And we saw it. We saw what happens with one team, one heartbeat. You guys, obviously, we talked about it's like you know eighteen months or whatever that Hypo's even had the job had to get everybody out of the program had to bring his guys in had to do all this different stuff. So, and obviously they got their new quarterback coming in. So, not dumbing on Tennessee at all. But to your point, this was a Georgia win. You know, that's the yeah. thing. It's one direction. This is not a Tennessee loss. This is a Georgia win. That Tennessee did not blow it. They got outdooded duded. <laughs> they got, <Yes>. <laughs> got out They they got out-schemed. I mean. That's the thing that is so crazy about Georgia is that they're this throwback team that are running these like and we love Monken. There There's some newer concepts to it. I'm not saying it's a dinosaur offense, but it's this old school offense that's just five, six yards at a time until it's not.
0: Until it's not. Until it's and not. And when it's not, buddy, it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, amazing to think about it. all we talked about with the tight ends coming into this one too. And and I mean Darnell Washington, I don't think he had a catch in this one. Mm-hmm. Brock Bowers had like three catches for 37 yards or, or something, something like that. But it was, it was all about the Lad. receivers and, and and Lad, man. Lad might have locked up Lad of the Week with that. He might be Lad of the Week. He just might be. Um, one last, last thing. I saw people talking about potential Stetson Bennett for Heisman. I come back to he is probably not going to have the numbers. Considering that each Heisman Trophy winning quarterback has had at least 40 touchdowns pre-Heisman dating back to Troy Smith 2006. So I'm guessing that he's probably not going to have the numbers. Heisman very much wide open. I still think Hooker could win it. I still think Bo Nix can win it. Which, on, man, that's Come that's on. where we're at. Yeah, that's that's where we're he's at. He's focused.
1: Like, he's having fun.
0: This is Bo Nix's Heisman year. Weird, weird thoughts. I think that Bo Nix is now more likely to get to New York than Bryce Young.
1: Yeah, sure is.
0: The reality nobody saw coming. Okay, let's talk about it. Bama, LSU. Well, I'm pretty sure everyone in the continental United States could hear you laughing while watching this one.
1: Yeah, I think my neighbors have got to be super thankful for COVID because that was the
0: only thing keeping the decimals below Stanford Stadium in my living room. I was I was jazzed, man. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. Absolutely could not believe it. Who would have thought that Brian Kelly's Southern accent didn't hold him back from beating Alabama who could have predicted that the winningest coaching college football was good at recruiting and coaching in college football. Certainly. I was shocked. Brian Kelly knows a thing or two about the old pigskin. Um, hmm. He's he, he did not necessarily lose a game because of his lack of knowledge about Cajun food um, did not hold <laughs> him back. Good for hmm. him. The dancing did not prevent him from losing this football game. Just was dancing last night, buddy. Yeah, he was. Yes, he was. And I would too. If I put my cojones on the table like that and said more overtime, no, 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 screw that. I'm going to put the ball in my quarterback's hands. I'm going to get the mm-hmm. biggest win of my career. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do it. And darn it, he did. And we criticized Jimbo Fisher for that call with the game on the line against Alabama. What do you do mm-hmm. in these defining moments wherein your team turns to your head coach and says, hey, you know what to do. Show okay. us. Okay. Ryan Kelly knew what to do in that spot. And that call to get a high percentage play with Jaden Daniels. I think we all from home can sit there and say, "Ah, oh, you got to go forward in this spot. You got to go forward in this spot to actually be willing to say, I want an all or nothing play against Nick Saban. Mono imano. Mm-hmm. I'm going to out scheme him in this moment. He can call the timeouts in the world, but I'm going to put the faith in my guys. I just can't believe that he was able to execute it in the way that he did. And it created An unbelievable scene in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. It's the first time Alabama has had two pre-Iron Bowl losses since 2010. Well, since 2010, preseason number one team, they're going to miss the playoff. And for those who are saying, oh, they'll find a way to get Bama in the playoff. No, 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 no. That's done. They didn't have the resume to begin with. They're not going to get to an SEC championship unless – Pure pandemonium happens because remember LSU has one SEC loss. Bama has two SEC losses. You would need LSU to either get two more losses or alternatively Ole Miss would have to win out. And then LSU would have to lose one of those remaining games to mm-hmm. be able to, to get into the SEC championship. So yeah, a two loss Alabama team that is not going to an SEC championship. Uh Yeah. Not, not going to happen, which means that for the 17th time in the last 18 years, the AP preseason number one they ain't going to win a national title. The stat holds unbelievable. Start clapping. I don't know why <laughs> I still have that just sitting right here on my desk. It's it's right next to the Jimbo Fisher buyout numbers. <laughs> um, notebook. Yep. It's on the Iowa notebook, of course. Yeah. Let me pull this up. Sorry if I'm making a little bit of noise here, but you can see this. I'm going to show this to the camera right now. This Nobody is all the preseason number ones. Yeah. So again, friends don't let friends preseason number one or Heisman nods. Correct. Correct. And, you know, it it was a game in which we've kind of seen some, we've we've seen this movie before with with Alabama. And Mm -hmm. I I would have assumed that Bryce Young was just going to pull it out of his you know what, because that's just what Bryce Young does to play to Corey Brooks to take the lead absolutely Mm -hmm. silly the pressure that he escaped all time play and whatever Mm -hmm. sort of nfl draft film you watch of bryce young that play should be front and center just unbelievable and when that happened i'm thinking all right bama gets to stop here they're gonna Mm -hmm. call it a day i'm gonna reveal the stat about how once again alabama won a game despite the fact that for the 10th time in 14 sec games since the start of 2021 it was a one score game in the fourth quarter (laughs) no no LSU played like the team with nothing to lose in those spots. Jane Daniels continued to be so clutch. Mason Taylor, Mason our boy, Taylor. a Your person boy.
1: who I never said needed
0: fewer targets. Mason Will's Taylor, with, the hero Will's of the game boy, was, was the hero of this football game. Just unbelievable. I apologize to Georgia fans. Will, do you want to apologize to Mason Taylor? Listen, I've
1: always thought Mason Taylor was a great player.
0: We just used him wrong and that's what he's good for. He's a great receiving tight end in those moments just get him get him uh between the 20s you just use him in the yep. red zone in those spots unbelievable body control that's kind of lost in the shuffle of that play mm-hmm. with the two point conversion in overtime because you kind of I think we we take that for granted. And I talked about that last week with the Brock Bowers play, the body control to stay in balance, kind of keep his head level, and how mm-hmm. easily it could have been for him to kind of lose his footing. He looks ahead to the end zone. So he starts to turn before making that catch. A lot of things could have gone wrong in that spot, even though it was the correctly called play and it was open and Jaden Daniels executed it to a T. But mm-hmm. Mason Taylor, what a game, man. What a game. There were 12 times when I thought Bama was going to put the game on ice.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy to see the evolution of this team over time, right? And I love to view this through the prism of, are you scared? Because you asked me that after the Florida game, and there was a really good reason in that game to be scared, right? I've never seen, as an LSU fan, a team get better. As the year goes on. Yeah. I've seen a team that we know what it is in game three. And that's what that team is. And luckily, you know, 2019 got better, but we've seen that was kind of Joe Burrow, but it would be, Oh, we have Zach Mittenberger and no defense. And that's our team. We have a run game, but no passing game and some defense. That's our team. If you told me walking out of the superdome week one, I literally was joking with Brady. that I sat in the bar and I was like, I need to find something else to make me happy because it's not going to be this for a while. (laughs) I, I said that aloud to Brady, but point being, through the through the thing of are you scared? We've witnessed the coach come in and build this program the right way. Not like Les Miles and Coach O, which was kind of by accident. We've seen the guy have measured changes week by week. So you think about the Mississippi State game, the Auburn game, the Florida game, the old Miss game, all these games that we get down. I'm sitting here in a Bama game, like, okay, here we are. I I picked this game wrong. I was wrong about this game because I was scared of Nick Saban. I, I had no you. reason to be. I'm going to be honest with you. After watching that game, we saw on one side of the field, we saw Brian Kelly, who trusted his guys time and time again. And I texted this to you. This was the key of the game, in my opinion. They had that ridiculous out-of-bounds fumble call. I'm not going to waste any more energy on it. If you guys think that that should be legislated to the letter of the law, if you think think that we should legislate all rules to the letter of the law, tell me why y'all don't want to legislate that tip pass that way, okay? Because we can call it one of two ways. We can either say you understand the situation. And you understand the situation that you don't want to change the game. Or you can do the law. You can't do both in the same game. But I digress. They continue to keep the ball in the rule we've never heard of. Herbie had never heard of. They have Bryce Young. Okay. Fourth and two. Going into half. They're going to get the ball back. They kick a field goal. That's Nick Saban being scared. There's no other word for what that is. Because you've been given a gift. You're on the road. You have a Heisman winning quarterback. And in a game where the story of the game was Brian Kelly trusting his guys, this guy that I've been told couldn't relate to players, trusting his guys when it mattered. We've seen Nick Saban on the other sideline. I'm looking there, I'm going, I'm not scared of you, dog. You got nothing left in that tank right now. In Death Valley right now, I got a guy who I believe in. Not a guy who brings in Joe Burrow and he beats you. Not a guy who gets lucky every once in a while. A guy who responds to the backbreaking breaking Bryce Young play and wins the game on the two-point conversion.
0: How much do you think it was not trusting Bryce Young versus not trusting Bill O'Brien to outski Matt House? At that point, I don't care. You're not trusting your guys. Sure. Period. I get. We can blame.
1: Suddenly, when Alabama loses, they got the worst coordinators. They five stars aren't playing up potential. Okay, I'm sorry for Alabama and their 30 analysts that they don't trust their coaches. Sorry.
0: This was a game in which. It felt like nothing Bama could really do offensively for the at least for the first part of that game worked at all. And mm-hmm. I can't remember what the numbers were. Bryce, Bryce Young started like four of twelve for forty nine yards in this game. Mm-hmm. Wow, he has no idea. Like coming off of a bye, I was stunned to see Alabama look that. And I feel like if we say sluggish, that sounds that sounds like we're taking credit away from LSU, and that's not my intention by saying that. But mm-hmm. s- seeing Alabama look like it was that much um, one step behind. Mm-hmm. One step behind of, of everything was, was you see, that's the thing. Alabama. Your
1: hesitance right there is out of respect for Alabama, not the reality of the situation. Because we saw Tennessee in that same situation look scared, have all these pre-snap penalties like Alabama had. And what would we say about them? So the reason why you're pausing there is you know what you think, but you're scared to say it. Not scared, but you know what I'm saying. Like, yeah, they look, they looked out of sorts. They looked like a not well coached team in Death Valley.
0: They did. They absolutely did. And and again, like, I, I'm I'm pausing at at using sluggish because mm-hmm. it's like, well, well, LSU is just. Their speed is on that level. And oh, you're trying Burt, to create LSU. My bad. I
1: see what you're saying. No, yeah.
0: no, you're good. No, I, I understand what you're saying because it's like there are certain teams that can get in these spots and we're like, oh, they're overwhelmed. You talk right. about this. And then there are other teams that, when they get in the spot, it's like, oh, wow. Like they're, they just clearly don't, they they don't have things figured out, but they'll, they'll figure it out eventually. Right. And we don't necessarily harp on that in the same sort of way. And what I think is, is unique in the way that this played out was everything that we talked about could, that could. That that could have worked for LSU, in my opinion. It kind of did. I mean, and that's that's an execution standpoint. That's trusting that you're going to have a true freshman, Harold Perkins. You're going to stick him out there. You're Mm going to say, five-star, no-star, we don't care. He's a five-star. But you're going to (laughs) say, it does help. (laughs) It does help. It does help. Um, We're going to trust you to say in this spot, you're going to spy Bryce Young. And we're mm-hmm. going to trust that you're going to read his tendencies perfectly. And when he mm-hmm. wants to escape, you're going to be all over him. And he, when he wants to be able to drop back, you're going to act like that delayed blitzer. You're going to do things that we don't typically trust third or fourth year guys to be able to do against the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. And you're going to go out there and you're going to do it. And they put trust in their guys. Jane Daniels, we talked about, we say trust every single week with him. Mm-hmm. And even though it wasn't his most efficient game, it definitely wasn't. He still made those plays to be able to, to win. From the Bama side,
1: mm-hmm.
0: people are going to be talking about this all week, all week mm-hmm. with them. It'll be the I know I will. With... <laughs> you're not alone, <laughs> um, and and we'll have to answer this question. And if you're you know sitting around listening or something like that, something like that, you want to be able to kind of answer that question when it comes up at work and somebody says, "Wow, like what's what's up with Bama?" Like so, Bama's just just done. <laughs> I don't know. They're never that ex- done. I won't go that never further. done. Never done. We're not saying the dynasty's dead. We're not saying that. This this year's team, their their chances of winning a national championship, they are dead. But if you look at what held this team back or why this team wasn't able to live up to that preseason number one ranking, I think it was a few things. Discipline mm-hmm. issues obviously caught up to this team. Mm-hmm. Nine penalties in this game. We talked about how much that had been a hindrance to them on the road. I'm sure LSU fans took a little bit of extra satisfaction with the Eli Ricks DPI. Um just imagine the things that are said. Death Which Valley one, Connor? The one in the end zone or the one way down the field where he gave up a 60-yarder? Yeah, he had two. He had two. Um, the one in the end zone, wherein okay. he was probably a lot closer to to hearing some of those very personal mm-hmm. things that that were said. And I'm not that was my favorite that. one as well. Yes. Yeah, I figured that would be. Um, I thought the lack of a deep threat with Alabama was so evident, and mm-hmm. I don't have any idea why Tyler Harrell wasn't out there. If he was indeed healthy coming off the bye, he finally got to play a couple of weeks ago. Uh, He was supposed to be back. He didn't get a look in this one. Ultimately, I think you saw the flaws in this team and how so much depended on Bryce Young to make these spectacular plays. Some of that is on scheme. How much Bill O'Brien could have schemed with the previous group of Alabama receivers, we'll never know. How much Mm -hmm. Steve Sarkeesian would have struggled to scheme with this group of Alabama receivers, we will never know. And while I think it was a really rock solid defense with some all time great individual players, I think it was not a vintage Alabama impose your will type defense. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that such a thing really exists outside of Athens in today's world of college football. That's, Mm -hmm. that's just the cold, hard truth. I mean, that, that is, that is reality and you cannot impose your will in the same sort of way. And it is so much difficult, so much more difficult to defend these teams in the way that they spread you out in this modern era. none of that is new, but it is just part of the reason why this Alabama team so often would find itself in these dogfights. And this mm-hmm. time, they got bit. And in those ten games, one score games in the fourth quarter against SEC competition dating back to the start of twenty twenty one, Bama went seven and three in those games. You know, it, mm-hmm. it wasn't like Bama was was just. Like nine and one or something like that, seven and three is still pretty solid, and right. that's because of Bryce Young, right? Like that—that's because 100 percent he, was, as good as he yes. was. Could have been eight and two. Could have won this game. Could have been eight and two, but you're still playing with fire every time, every single time. And there's like I said, the path of the playoff is over. That that much is clear for for Alabama, in my opinion. Um, LSU would have the they would have to lose the two games trips to Arkansas, A and M probably not going to do the trick it's Mm -hmm. weird because i was talking about this with hester the other day bryce young is now going to finish his career without a national championship as the starter again he was the backup in 2020 so you know how much credit is he actually gonna get for that probably not a whole lot because that was obviously mac jones's his offense that he was running how to derail you do you think he's the best quarterback in bama history so that's that's what i wanted to to kind of flesh out here and and i think is a really interesting discussion because I think how we're going to remember Bryson, and he's not dying. And I realize he's not, he's not right. clear for the NFL draft. Don't put him
1: on a shirt. Yeah. Nah, <laughs> not,
0: okay. I'm not saying that. But there's a good chance that last night was the last real meaningful game that we'll see him play in an Alabama uniform, at least one that has playoff implications to it with Alabama. Mm-hmm. He's going to be in the same breath as some of these great two year wonders of the last decade. Johnny Manziel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson, Sean Watson, Tua, but he's not going to be considered better than Burrow, Tebow, or Cam, because those guys got a Heisman and a ring as a starter. And that mm-hmm. to me takes you into a different stratosphere when you are at that level. But the crazy thing is even after that game and make, correct me if I'm wrong on this. So I just listed all those guys. Mm-hmm. If you're going to give me one guy, two minute drill, all things equal, everybody's got the same group of receivers to be able to work with, same coordinator in their ear. Mm-hmm. I'd probably pick Bryce Young out of that group in that spot, and I'm not saying that that means he's better than those guys. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that, but that's the thing that we need to remember him for and how poised he is in those moments. I I would want him with the ball in his hands. I would. You think you're talking about the two year quarterbacks? Uh, I would include. I would include. Tebow and Cam and Burrow in that group. Just oh, of, so you would take him over Burrow and Tebow in in that in a two minute drill. That's what oh. I'm saying here. Two minute drill, game on okay. the line, season on the line. He also had more experience doing that than those guys. That's
1: actually he has like probably the, the SEC career leader in like
0: that exact situation. That's actually a really good point. And maybe you can make the argument for Cam. I would absolutely like I, I'm right. perfectly okay with hearing and seeing Cam with some of these modern offenses and the way that it's Very called insane. would be incredible. Yeah. But he he would be my first thought in that group, which I think that's what we need to to kind of remember him and his and his Alabama legacy, his college legacy for because he's gonna get picked apart with the NFL draft stuff. And we'll see what he is, what situation he goes to in the NFL and all those different things. But I just don't wanna dismiss. How good he has been so often mm-hmm. in these moments. Mm-hmm. And I think he deserves so much praise for that.
1: No, I've said that. Like, and he had a third year in the Mississippi State game that I meant to bring up too, that it was just amazing. It was very similar to the one that happened in this game where he just made things happen. And to your point, I mean, as much as I was joking about like, oh, now we're blaming the coordinators, it's wild how they fa- failed Bryce Young in Alabama. Like, wild. And again, those are words we would use anywhere else. They have failed Bryce They have put coordinators and talent around him that is not, you have this skill set that, is almost unbreakable and you have found a way to break him. That is impressive, honestly, because if you put him at like, you know, in the Bryles system or in the Lane Kiffin system, he would be out here. Yeah, the Sarks, yeah, he would be unstoppable. But you've somehow found a way to put him in the only system where their best mode of offense is dumping the ball off to Jameer Gibbs over and over again. And Jameer Gibbs is good, but we're talking about you guys had years and years and years to build this team. And this guy is a transfer from Georgia Tech, and he's the only means of offense on the
0: field worth considering. The uh the questions about who he's gonna be from a durability standpoint, all these things, I'm already kind of sick of it because I'm just like, mm-hmm. I, I don't really I don't really care as much about the NFL stuff. Like I care more about what we got to just watch this guy do. And he was a special, special player, mm-hmm. and people are gonna criticize him, even though it's like, all right, well, he was great down the stretch and LSU won this game because they went for a two-point conversion in overtime right. and won after Alabama already scored on that drive, which, again, debatable on the the pass interference ball <laughs> thing, whatever you want to call it. Don't matter. Yeah, don't matter. Um, the together, bridge. One more one more Bama thing, and I promise you we, we will get to LSU. The R-word is going to be thrown around with Saban a lot. Okay. No. And yeah, um, that's right. not really doom and gloom. And nothing surprises me anymore. And I hate that we do that after the second loss. And I, I realize that I'm guilty of it just by bringing this up. Retire, by the way, is what we're talking right. about. I don't think Saban retires. I, I think while the discipline issues were evident and this NIL world is certainly different than the previous one that he, he dominated. I don't think he's ready to go out like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think he's wired much like a Belichick and just because Tom Brady sails off into the Tampa sunset. Doesn't mean that Belichick is just like, Oh yeah, I'm absolutely done here. And I don't think Saban is just going to have that same sort of approach. Nothing mm-hmm. surprises me. That I love would. how Saban just handed Belichick Mac Jones and was like, "Enjoy retirement. <laughs> figure this one out." <laughs> I, I still think Mac can figure it out. I'm I'm always been a little bit more pro Mac, but yeah. Um. Okay. LSU. Mm-hmm. Brian Kelly did in year one what some thought he would never be able to do, and that was with the team. Will you have your hand raised? Yes, you were I not was one of one those people. people. Yes. You you so you thought that he would never beat Alabama. No,
1: I didn't think he would never beat Alabama. I thought him beating
0: Alabama in year one was insane. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this was the team that looked like it couldn't tie its own shoes against Florida State. (laughs) Facts accurate description. This is why you do this. One loss since that game. And Mm -hmm. of course it was to Tennessee. Alabama went in the back pocket. It was never going to be about what he was going to do to look like he belonged in that area. It was going to be about what does he do coaching in these defining moments. And Mm -hmm. look, when people bring up the, the culture fit stuff, I admittedly get a little bit defensive because Every once in a while, i have someone shirt me and they'll call me a Yankee or I'll say that I don't understand SEC football because I grew up in the Midwest, but I can promise you that I've spent years grinding my tail off to make sure that that is never said about my work. So again, very different worlds that we're talking about. I'm not saying that I can sit here and relate to Brian Kelly in every single way with what he was going through in those closing moments to realize that he just beat Nick Saban and LSU is a madhouse, but I know that had to feel good for Brian Kelly. You could see him getting tears in his eyes with Holly Rowe as LSU fans are storming the field. Remember Mm -hmm. one win against an AP top five team in his career. This wasn't an AP top five team, but the one win was the COVID year with Clemson. You know, they beat a Trevor Lawrence list Clemson team field rush is all dissected because COVID is still happening. So you couldn't Mm -hmm. even really enjoy the field rush. I wasn't sure that Kelly would have a moment like that until late year two, maybe year three based on the fact that he inherited a roster with 39 scholarship players in a bowl game. I mean, mm-hmm. helps to have some dudes. We talked about this, you know, Kelly had more five stars on this roster at LSU his year one roster than he had in his last six Notre Dame teams combined. All right? Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a real stat that the Harold Perkins impact obvious John Emery, you see him on the, the one 30 yard passing play of the day for LSU where he just is able to – looks like he's about to, to hurdle, and then he does this high-step thing. It was incredible. And Kayshawn mm-hmm. Booty turns out he's a pretty darn good receiver when he's actively part of the game plan, and Jaden Daniels just decides on a moment's notice that he needs to be force-fed targets. LSU did what it's been doing all year outside of the Tennessee game. Just shake it mm-hmm. off and say, ah, no big deal, whatever. We'll find a way. Let's go make another play. I don't know that all Brian Kelly's teams are going to have that at LSU. I, I don't think that's a guarantee. I don't think we can assume that that's going to be the common denominator. I, mm-hmm. But that it was just an all facets, unbelievable response from LSU after getting punched in the mouth. And you brought it up earlier. Are we scared of Bama. Nobody scared of Bama. Mississippi State, maybe, is the only team that's left. <laughs> they should probably still be
1: scared Bandy. of Bama, be.
0: Bandy's definitely scared of Bama, too. But mm-hmm. other than that, nope, nobody unbelievable
1: yeah i mean going back to it like i said it's funny when you talk about the picks like um you know obviously the florida game i feel like i had right i said pick lsu in this game because i thought the spread was disrespectful so at least you didn't lose money but the thing about this game that it blew my mind truly is like i said The job that Brian Kelly had done with these transfers, and I said it in the other pod, you know, where none of these guys are his guys, right? So if you look at what he's doing big picture, you know, on Friday, he gets this commitment from this guy who reclassified from 2025 to 2024, right? When I talked to one of the guys at Hoover about why Hoover High was so dominant, they said that they gave, they ran the same playbook at all levels and they would run simplified versions of it. And what Brian Kelly is trying to do is a version of that. He's trying to get kids in the system, redshirt them, give them a playbook, make them early in release, get them on his Brian Kelly system. You see the offensive line he's bringing in. You see these little checkpoints that you see for a program that is on the come up being built the way that Georgia was. But they're not even close to that yet. That's the crazy thing about this win is that Brian Kelly's system is really hard to run. That's why he went out and got the only transfer quarterback who didn't need to know it to be good. And it took him eight weeks to figure it out. Took him till the Florida game to figure out how to run Brian Kelly's system. That's not going to be the problem with Walker Howard. That's not going to be the problem with this Hurley kid. That's not going to be the problem. It's not going to be where LSU was a random Joe at quarterback and five stars all over the field. And so when you have an Alabama team that wins so many games before the ball is even snapped because of continuity and recruiting, right? These guys that have been in Nick Saban's system for three, four, five years, knowing that they were going to wait for their turn to get drafted to compete for a championship. And they were fine doing that. That's why Alabama beats everyone because in Georgia too, because of they have this culture and this understanding that once you wait your turn, you will be a champion. I thought we were two or three years away from that with Brian Kelly. And he's already putting in that stuff to get there in two or three years, beating Nick Saban this way, trusting your guys, trusting these these Island of Misfit Toys roster that he's not used to running in this place that he's barely even been to, only to lose the Sugar Bowl, really. (laughs) Like Point being, it's so happy for me as an LSU fan because I expected year one to be eating crow. I expected all the boos and all the questions to continue well in the year two and three. But the fact that he went three and oh against Billy Napier, who everybody said should have had the job, Lane Kiffin, who obviously wanted the job, and then Nick Saban. It's like, this is a storybook. This isn't real. And and I often said this is going to be the worst LSU team that Brian Kelly coaches. I don't know if that's true. Obviously, he'll probably go backwards, but that's only because this team is a lot more special than I gave it credit for.
0: I, I agree with you. I, I do. And the resolve that they have shown. And, you know, you talk about, uh, you know, freshmen have, have a red shirt. I mean, how about Will Campbell, the job he does on Will Anderson? Mm-hmm. So, like to be able to to contain him and you you are trusting some of these true freshmen and Perkins deserves to be talked about a a ton. And to me, it is just such a, such a tip of the cap to the job that he has done. He's got a chance to win SEC coach of the year. That that chance is still available for him. We'll kind of wait and see the way that that plays out, you know, potentially Mm -hmm. LSU and Georgia in, in an SEC championship game. Um, LSU can have the 2017 Auburn path to the playoff potentially. Yeah. Though, Again, that gets a little bit complicated with the potential one-loss Tennessee team. We'll wait and kind of see how that plays out and the way that that plays out with other teams in contention. But there's just no way that I would have thought this LSU team would have any shot at Atlanta in November. And basically, the mm-hmm. only thing that can disrupt the West title is losing two SEC games or losing one more, having Ole Miss win out, which would include beating Bama. So playoff top seven, what I think it will look like on Tuesday, and then we'll get to the rest yep. of the games here. Yeah, I think Georgia's won. Ohio State's still probably going to be two, and then we're going to have to hear the selection committee talk about wind and crap, even though it's like, all right, you were asleep playing at Northwestern and you couldn't complete a pass. But I still think they're going to be a two. I love how that's factor in
1: when they specifically aren't affected by snow or win in the college bowl playoffs it's like you can win in snow and win and it's like buddy that doesn't matter at all in this in this context
0: really rough day for the oh sec teams could never win in extreme in like actual big 10 weather and then mm-hmm. ohio state struggles like that you see all I see a lot of the big 10 apologists being like oh see they're dealing with the elements blah 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 and it's like okay can't have mm-hmm. it both ways like michigan will be three I think Tennessee will be four, even though, I again, I bang the drum for TCU. I would have no problem at TCU at four. But based on what the social committee has told us about their resume, I think mm-hmm. we could see them play the card again and be like, oh, they played in a lot of these close games. So I think TCU will be five. I think Oregon will be at six. And I think LSU will be at seven. Any major disagreements that you see with that?
1: No, because, yeah, I mean, all of Tennessee, TCU, and Oregon have a solid case for four. Because Oregon obviously would be saying, well, our only loss is to Georgia. Obviously, it was a bad one, but that's what Tennessee has going on, too. So why are they four? And then TCU, it's like, yo, we're undefeated, dog. Yeah. <laughs> why are we talking about losses
0: here? Couldn't relate. Exactly. But, yeah, that's that's how I think it will play out on Tuesday. And we'll, of course, dissect that on the midweek pod. Okay rest of the game, still got a lot to get to. Still got five more games to get to here. And there was
1: an overtime game outside of these games.
0: Yes, let's talk about it. Auburn, Mississippi State. This game, Will, was Pack 12 after dark. Oh, yes. Yeah. It had everything. It had Mike Leach. It had a blown 21-point lead. It had a mm-hmm. kicker needing to make three consecutive kicks because of two perfectly called timeouts by the defense. It had <laughs> overtime. It had the best potentially on accidental onside kick ever. Maybe Mm -hmm. Um, some would say some would say I'm definitely saying it wild, wild way for Mississippi State to win. And I thought surely Cadillac Williams was going to finish the night with a victory. I thought he deserved it. He was a joy to watch on that Auburn sideline. Just an absolute Mm -hmm. treat. You know how Brian Harson was talking about wanting to have his guys, you know, have fun out there. I think these guys could have had fun if he had just resigned. And, you know, the Boise State <laughs> I think he was after- the problem. He was the fun police, actually. Maybe Um, just just give the job to Cadillac. Let him run around on the sideline, be just so upbeat and encouraging. I mean, it was it was so fun to watch him because you could see he was really soaking that in. You see some of the, the midweek quotes that come out about the pride of Auburn like, You're like, God, this this is going to matter so much. And who knows what's going to happen in his coaching career, but that guy is never going to forget this. And that is so cool to see. And it's so rare to see someone so respected as a player to get this kind of spotlight, to be able to lead that program with where it's at right now. That play where it was like it was in the fourth quarter, Auburn offensive lineman thought he had this like Michael Ower block on Jet Johnson, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was well past, but it was well past the whistle, and that was a problem. He got flagged for unnecessary roughness. And you see mm-hmm. Robbie Ashford just lose his mind on this mm-hmm. Auburn offensive lineman. And Cadillac, of course, takes him, puts his armor on him on the sideline immediately. And you could tell, he, he's just a vibe. I mean, he's just a vibe. Like, mm-hmm. you cannot convince me. His team, his team didn't feed off of his energy because down twenty four to three, that previous Auburn team with that previous regime that we've watched for the last month, not really. They're not scoring the- again. I don't know. I don't know that they're scoring again in that game. I, I truly don't. I mean, Auburn in this game almost did to Mississippi State what Mississippi State did to Auburn last year. Twenty mm-hmm. three was almost reversed. Twenty four to three. And, you know, last year, Auburn fans were livid that Derek Mason didn't start sending blitzers while well, this year I was livid personally watching this game that Mike Leach refused to run the ball, refused. And look, I get it. It's the air raid. You know, you're at home. You never expected him to run the ball. Let Will Rogers get going. I understand. But he only ran the ball 10 times against an Auburn defense who let up an FBS worst 300 rushing yards per game in October. They should have
1: listened to the pod, Connor, because we were both all over this. Their path to victory was to killing the clock and running the ball because uh, outside of my boy Hall, they can't stop it.
0: What are they doing? What are they doing? And what? I thought that Mississippi State let them right back in. And as a result of that, and my guy Trey Wallace, I saw had the video, uh, and I can't remember where he got it from, but Leach is on the sideline putting chairs away. You got Cadillac running down here, waving his towel like a madman trying to call in timeouts and he's hype and he's yeah, not like, yeah, not like, He's like just like, you know, I, I think Cadillac had roughly 20,000 steps in that game. And Mike Leach is over here being the fun police, putting chairs away. Like that's the reason your team is slipping right now. Like, Listen, you got to have that servant leadership. Look, there's nothing, nothing impressed the ladies more at church than when you picked up as many chairs as you could. Right. True. And you
1: brought them out after the service. So maybe Mike Leach was trying to do a power move that we
0: didn't pick up on. We did that at our, yeah, we did that, uh, at our wedding too. Chairs are really expensive for those of you that have never you know done the wedding planning process before mm-hmm. or something like that, but chairs are really expensive. You know, you, you're like, ah, oh, do we need chairs for the ceremony and for, for the reception? Just bring them over. As long as, as long as I'm not making my grandpa, my 94 year old grandpa pick up this chair and carry it half a mile. All right. We're, we're good. Like, you know, everybody can contribute, help out, but yes, you're exactly right. Why Mike Leach? Felt like that was the vibe his team needed mm-hmm. in that moment. I don't know. Um, to me, it, it was madness because you could see Derek Derek Hall in this game. Dudes who mm-hmm. deserved better. That guy deserved a win for the way that he played in that game. He was incredible. And this is what Mississippi State has kind of struggled with. When they run into those elite edge rushers, mm-hmm. you are just like, oh boy, this is this is kind of ugly. And maybe, just maybe, running the football would probably be something that could help. Just
1: Outlandish just to- take, Connor.
0: What a take, but it's the brand. It's the offense. Got to mm-hmm. stick with it at all costs, but it sounds like I'm being a hater. It is. Um, I I really wanted to praise Auburn more for actually giving a crap when it's not a given. It's just not a given. We could have easily come on this podcast and talked about, yeah, you know what? kind of like cool story. Love seeing the midweek stuff. Great. Kind of from a nostalgia standpoint, he's got his boy, Ronnie. He's got Ronnie Brown on the sidelines. Oh yeah.
1: Double wildcat.
0: I mean, if that doesn't give you the feels as an Auburn fan, I don't know what does, but Mm -hmm. like there could have been a very easy scenario in which we're like, yeah, Mississippi state won this game 45 to three and Auburn is not going to be able to win another game. They're going to lose to Western Kentucky. Instead. We see this fight. We absolutely see this fight from them. And to me, like, lost in the shuffle of this year that's just been a total crap storm dating back to february with the coup for auburn i thought that seeing that comeback was the actually, coup which we all remember i love that that's just a pinpoint in time now like yeah again per uh, uh per my last email about the coup moving forward i mean if, if there's ever a word that's part of the auburn lexicon that's it coup. right right there i mean yeah of course. So, I mean, Mississippi State clinches a bull berth, which great to be able to see that for this team, a team that we were really high on in the preseason and has just kind of had a little bit of a herky-jerky year. Auburn, as always, we are going to get used to this team just having herky-jerky years as long, forever, period, because they always
1: have. But as long as Leach is there, it's my favorite kind of sicko game. It's just the no idea who Mississippi State is this week, and
0: that's okay. No no idea who they're playing unless it's like an Alabama or a Georgia. And I'm Right, gonna, yeah. <laughs> we know that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get ahead of this and say I think Georgia's is one of that football game. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, I'll take whatever spread needed to cover. I feel like I know Georgia, I, I owe Georgia at least that much. But Auburn, wild card, going to be a little bit of a wild card down the stretch. They got to win out uh, mm-hmm. to be able to make a bowl game, which obviously still includes the Iron Bowl. They get AM at home next week. Dog, I was just thinking about that when you were talking about like end
1: of year situations. Like, Can you imagine this Alabama team having to play Cadillac Williams right now? He's just like having
0: the time of his life and they're all furious. How loose is Auburn going to play in that Iron Bowl?
1: And and you know Alabama's going to be tight regardless. I'm not saying they're going to lose or anything, but like the vibe is tight in Alabama. The vibe is very loose in Auburn.
0: Yeah, I have no idea what what exactly that's going to look like. Feels like a lot can happen in in the next few weeks. But yes, a fun Pac-12 after dark game that we were Mm -hmm. blessed with. For those of us that didn't just need to go to bed immediately after watching Bama LSU, that was a nice little late night treat to be able to get some extra football and to watch Mike Leach do classic Mike Leach things and Auburn, you know what Cadillac Williams just throwing his name into the fire. They're not going to hire him. But for, for one night, it felt, it felt good to have that guy in your corner and to have him leading your program for sure.
1: Yeah, big program guy.
0: That is an associate
1: head coach right there. That is the dude, like you said, IMG connection. And like, I think he'll be a good head coach one day if that's what he wants to do. He's just super young. I like vividly remember watching the guy play. But to your point, you yeah, get like a little bit of an organizer over there, let him be like kind of the face of the program if you want. I think that would be fire. Even if they bring in a big guy, like
0: you're, he just seems like a cool guy to work with. I don't know him personally or anything, but he's just like a vibe team captain. And I've only, I because I did a couple of stories on him. Um, mm-hmm. I did, I think I, I think I had, interviewed him three times like a two-month stretch for three mm-hmm. different stories one of which was on him one of which was the the Trey Sanders Noah Kane thing mm-hmm. and then there was I think I did a story about his coaching career and then I did a story about Ronnie Cadillac as the GOAT mm-hmm. running back duo um, in uh, SEC uh, football history but yeah uh, just a guy that I, I, I grew to respect a lot kind of hearing his story and I mean, I think he was like living away from his family for a little bit, like they had a place in Tampa and he's like, you know, grinding at Bradenton, you know, Mm -hmm. Bradenton trying to just get his career off the ground and make it work. And that that for him was probably just such an unbelievable pinch yourself moment to be able to to do that. It's one thing to do that as a player, but to to be on the sideline as a head coach, just incredible to see. And Auburn's going to be fun to watch on the stretch if they're going to play like that, man. They're going to they're definitely going to be really fun. Okay, let's go to Florida, Texas A&M. Um so one of the the downsides of recording this on a Wednesday is mm-hmm. not knowing when the flu can just sweep through an entire locker room mm-hmm. and um and we find out that Auburn is going to be without 10 starters and just a A&M. oh yeah god I'm still on Auburn uh and A&M is going to be you know just down two got uh, down all these guys on the 2 deep and mm-hmm. This was one of those tweets that you see in the pregame, and it was uh Nick De La Torre who did the Lord's work, mm-hmm. tweeted out all the Aggies who are out. And I mean, I Bishop Sycamore thought that roster was thin. <laughs> all right. I, goodness great. Like AM probably never had a chance to win this one, even if the flu. Ah, eh, you know what? I take that back. I take that back. Because they came I think out they fighting. Had... I'll give them credit. They hung in this one early, but I mean, yeah, ultimately, no. They, they did come out fighting, and I give them credit. And I did – I mean, I said I thought AM was going to win this game, thinking they were going to be a little bit closer to full strength. Um, They, they weren't going to have a chance if Anthony Richardson played like that. And he played really, really well. It felt like he took whatever he wanted. That two-headed rushing attack, Montrell Johnson, Trevor Etienne, looked really good once again. Obviously, they were going to be able to run the ball on the Aggies. But what I didn't realize – was how depleted it was gonna be for AM on that defense. And mm-hmm. oh my gosh. And I I also at the time, you know, when we recorded the midweek pod, I'm like, all right, Connor Wigman's gonna be good to go. Uh instead it was Haynes King and it was a hobbled Haynes King, which was not the formula for AM having any sort of success in a second half in which they scored zero points. So so hold on. I was trying to trace this path.
1: I, I hate to do this out in case it gets confusing, but they started the season with Haynes King as the starter. Then did he, he got hurt, and then Max Johnson? No, no, no. no. Max no. Johnson just took his job, and then Max Johnson got hurt, yep. and then Haynes King took back over, and then they gave it to Wigman, and then Wigman got the flu, and then they gave it back to her Haynes King. Everybody's QB2 at this point.
0: Yes. Everybody was that accurate? Like, did that pretty much follow how we yeah. ended up with back at Haynes King where we started? Yep. Um, and, and this was after, of course, Jimbo announced in the post game that that Wakeman was going to be the guy for yep. the rest of the year, and then of course he gets the flu, he's unavailable in this one. Um, I, I just continued to feel terrible for Devon A. Chain. I, I think it was after his first touchdown. His his offensive lineman wanted to celebrate with him, a depleted Aggie offensive <laughs> line, because what unit wasn't depleted? Um, they like wanted one offensive lineman, like, wanted to celebrate with him, and A. Chain kind of like shook him off and was like, yeah, we're going to have to do a lot more work. This isn't worth <laughs> celebrating yet. Self-awareness to a T that guy you're in the gap, brother. Let's not get carried away here. Right. Yeah. (laughs) We're we're gonna need about six more of these things and then we'll celebrate. Then we'll talk about that, but let's, (laughs) let's chill for now. I got to save my energy Mm -hmm. and look, he might not have known that that Haynes King was clearly going to be hobbled and ineffective in the entire second half. But yeah, it was, it was very obvious uh, who was able to impose their will. And that was Florida's defense in the second half of that game, their pass rushers without Brenton Cox Mm -hmm. who was dismissed earlier in the week really got after it, made it another frustrating day for the AM offense.
1: Wow. Getting bad apples out of the program, contributing to its overall success, a theme we're seeing. If you have that guy that you're just like, oh, this guy's kind of
0: been weird. Like things have been, if you lose him bro, you get better, it happens every time. Yeah. And then you can, but you can go the opposite way with that too. And you say like, all right, well, what if we get Kayshawn Booty right? And right. If- no, exactly. Yeah. It's like, once you're at that point, all, only good things could happen. Yeah. Um, Aggies now have a five game losing streak. First time since when will. The Jimmy Carter administration. Yes, it is. Yes, it oh, is. It's a revolutionary year. I feel it was a lot of things happened, man. A lot of things happened in the Jimmy Carter era. Um, They now need to win out or else they'll miss a bowl game for the first time since 2008, 2008. Don't think that's too likely at Auburn mm-hmm. home against UMass. Again, they're going to beat down Brown and then home against LSU. So yeah. And meanwhile, Florida home against South Carolina, at Vandy, at FSU, who just trucked Miami mm-hmm. on Saturday. Just a beat down. Still a path for Florida. If it plays like that, if it plays mm-hmm. like that and has that kind of second-half life, defensively speaking, they can go 8-4 and four in the regular season. Ninth win up for grabs in a bowl game. That is not out of the realm of possibility with Richardson playing better and a mm-hmm. defense that still cares and is still fighting out there. That was the first win... That Florida fans could probably feel good about since Utah. Think about it. Look at all those wins that they that they've had. Could they feel correct. good after Mizzou? No. Well,
1: I mean, devil's advocate, everybody was out with the flu. But yes, correct. I, this has been a really weird year for Florida because that that Utah win is just uh, like just such
0: a great win, and then everything else happened. Yeah that that will uh, that will still be remembered as like you Know a pretty important moment, I think we'll mm-hmm. look back on for, for getting people on Billy Napier's side, maybe raising the expectations a little bit too high year one, but still a great win and still a win that I look back on. I'm like, yeah, Utah people are. I, I had some crap by Utah everyone, so I'm like, I still think Utah is a really good, good team. I mean, they're a two-lost mm-hmm. team at this stage of the season that's could definitely go to a New Year's Six Bowl at this point. Um, but Florida hasn't necessarily had that mojo obviously since then, and I'm not saying that this was on that level, but. If you just consider all the other things with the way that it played out against Mizzou, the way that it played out Mm -hmm. against USF, um, this was probably the first kind of exhale like, oh, finally. All right, and maybe maybe they'll have a chance to be able to run the table, close the season on a four-game winning streak going into bowl season. Very much possible. Oh, yes. I think I can preemptively call Florida-South Carolina the Sickers matchup of the week next week because we
1: truly have no idea what's going to happen in that game. I don't. I don't know if you do, but that's one of those games
0: that's like, which South Carolina team shows up? Which Florida team shows up? Dragon Ball Z. We'll find out together. I picked South Carolina to win against Florida in the Swamp in the preseason, and I also picked South Carolina to beat Tennessee at williams Price. Mm-hmm. I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be backing off the South Carolina, <laughs> at a Tennessee pick. I'm be backing off that one, but uh, but it would be funny though. It, it would be. Um, I, don't, I don't know that that's gonna happen. That would really blow things up. There are a lot of one-loss teams that would look at that and be like, "Oh, Shane Beamer, Beamer ball, waving the mm-hmm. towels." They got them going. Shout out Spurs Up Show. Um, okay, let's go to the most disappointing SEC effort of the week, in my opinion, mm-hmm. Arkansas. Hugh Freeze still has it. Arkansas loses back. to Liberty. Yes, very much back. That defense that Liberty came out with was excellent. Well, I, I mean, I think Hugh Freeze, while he's known as an offensive-minded guy, still probably gets to flex because third-string quarterback in the preseason, Jonathan Bennett, comes out and looks really good early on. And I know that Liberty is a top 25 team, but I think that was the worst loss of the Sam Piven era because of how it happened. All right, okay. and this, this is what i mean by that you're coming off two road wins you're excited to finally be back at home kind of look like you turned the corner you got through some of those mid-season issues barry odom last week is talking about how yeah this team is as healthy as it's been defensively since week one and i mean gosh arkansas was just fired up to make a long kick at the end of the first half yeah that's how, that's how bad things were i mean Rocket KJ, they were bottled up until it was way too late. And even though Arkansas didn't allow a second half point, we know that this team just does not operate as well when it's in a lot of these obvious passing situations. And they hadn't been in those obvious passing situations these last two weeks with BYU. And and of course, with the way that it played out against Auburn with getting the lead that they did. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't go 51 minutes without a touchdown at home against a non power five program. And I'm still going to call Liberty a As an axiom of life, that feels fair, Connor. I feel <laughs> that is something they did and that they shouldn't have. <laughs> Look it up at 21 to five. Not ideal. Not ideal. Black Pump was great. Black Pump was cool. Kind of got the mojo back in place. But man, Arkansas offensive line came in as PFF's highest graded group in the country. And I think they got dominated for too much of this day. I really mm-hmm. do. And I thought KJ telegraph passes the one that he had over the middle where the guy picks it off at midfield where you're just like, Oh my gosh, you cannot have that. The sense of Mm -hmm. urgency with this offense just wasn't there until it was too late. And Arkansas has been weirdly inconsistent this year. Even if KJ's knee had come down a half a yard later and he gets into the end zone to convert the two point conversion to tie up the game. I think I'd still say that I, I do like there were two touchdown favorite in this game. And I don't really know what to expect from them down the stretch. I don't, they, they don't have any guaranteed wins left because you're at home against LSU. You're at home against Ole Miss. And then you've got a road game against Mizzou against that defense that we know is probably going to give them a good four quarter battle as long as they are healthy. So they could very easily fin- end up finishing six and six going to Las Vegas bowl. Pittman in Las Vegas could definitely see that. Makes That's pretty tired Yeah. Yeah. How much money did Hugh Freeze make by winning that game on his new Auburn contract? Like ten million bucks?
1: I I feel yeah. Listen, Hugh Freeze defenders feeling vindicated. I'll say it.
0: I think he's a great coach. He deserves a shot somewhere. Yes, Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze knows what he's doing. He absolutely does. Like the fact that they're doing this. I know we we make our Malik Willis comments, but like the fact that he has them in the top twenty five
1: again, mind you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> again. I mean, they got there in twenty twenty, and then they didn't get in there last year. I want to mm-hmm. say but like to, to have a group that's this good consistently and to be able to, to mm-hmm. go into a road venue like that. I mean, that's what we praised him for in 2020, but yeah, he's a good coach, man. Really good coach knows what he's doing. And he out coached Sam Pittman, Barry Odom, Kendall Bryles. And uh, that was a bad loss for Arkansas. No other way to, to spin it. Just a bad loss that you did not want to have. And I think any, any chance of a Florida bowl game for them is probably off the table with what they still have coming up on that schedule.
1: Mm-hmm. It's kind of right. where we all want to be
0: in life, right? Just a Florida bowl game. That's a little happy place. It's like, we need to do a Florida bowl game. We're in a good place. I know. I say I say that like it's a, it is, I think it is a legit benchmark. I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Gasparilla Bowl is a little bit different. You got to what, six wins to be able to get in there as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, going to the Outback Bowl, going to Citrus Bowl, where you're talking about eight, nine wins. That's usually kind of the threshold for that. We're not like, slandering the Cure Bowl. However, most of these bowls, very cool places to be. That's, we're pro Florida Bowl is all we are. Of course, and if I can have a bowl game that I can drive to, come on, mm-hmm. no, come gonna, on, you know I'm gonna bang the drum for that bowl all day. Oh yeah. Uh, all right, Kentucky and Mizzou. This was such a <laughs> Mizzou loss in every <laughs> way. Ah, <laughs> oh, poor Mizzou. The botch punt, total disaster for Mizzou when it could have been the backbreaking play that they needed. So if you didn't, you didn't see this, or you you just forgot it because your brain was mushed by the end of that Saturday, like mine was, brother. Um. Oh yeah. But, Okay, so let me, I'll set the scene here. Kentucky is up 21-17, two and a half minutes left. We're going to punt the ball back to Missouri. And in theory, Mizzou is going to get the ball back with a chance for a game-winning touchdown drive, down four. Kentucky snaps it from their own 41, and it sails past the punter. He goes all the way to inside his own five-yard line to punt it. Somehow mm-hmm. gets it away, punting. But as he's punting, he gets hit by a Mizzou player. My first thought was, wow, Mizzou going to take over where that punt went out of bounds, 30-yard line, pretty amazing player play to be able to just get that ball away. Uh, mm-hmm. What it looked like they could have had a blocked punt and a go-ahead touchdown. I mean, a lot of things could have happened in that moment. And instead, they rule it roughly the kicker, which, mm-hmm. I mean, why? Because technically, he was still in the tackle box, even though it was 30 yards behind where he was supposed to punt the <laughs> ball from. Tackle boxes have never been
1: wider. I've, I see stuff constantly. I'm like, is that not ground? The concept of a tackle box has just gone from modern officiating.
0: No idea. No idea. And, and because if you do the rugby punt, you can get hit. There is no
1: tackle box in yeah. a rugby punt.
0: Like, you take three steps to your left or your right, and yeah, you could just get mauled. I mean, you, I, you could, they, I, and I understand like targeting still exists, but it feels like you can just get teed off on them. They're Like, Oh yeah, that's why you don't rugby kick. And that's why that's the danger in that but, stupid Australians get out of here. <laughs> of course. And meanwhile, you know, Kentucky's punter looks like he's going to be out like out for the year with a serious yeah. injury on this play, which you feel terrible for the guy, but, I mean, it was just such a bizarre play because you're like, why is that a rule? He's tackling him like he's a ball carrier. There's (laughs) no way that should be an actual rule. That will absolutely be changed in the offseason. And Mizzou fans, when they see that rule come up at like SEC media days, when they do like the Wednesday morning, this is what we're changing this year. (laughs) And then they'll show that play on the big screen. and be like, this happened and this happened. And this is why we're changing this rule. It's like, well, why couldn't we have common sense in this moment? Because- Mizzou made a great play and took advantage of a Kentucky mistake, in my opinion, and at least pressured him, and Kentucky got rewarded with a first down. Oh, yeah. Listen, SEC officiating, count your days, buddy. You guys have an offseason to figure
1: all this crap out. We saw this in the Tennessee uh, game. We saw two goals that didn't make any sense. I think we saw two calls in the LSU game that didn't make any sense. I've seen Bama fans mad about other stuff, too. And this game is like... Okay, y'all might not have an agenda. Y'all might just be kind of slow. I don't know. <laughs> like, that's what I keep coming to. is like, you guys aren't malicious.
0: Y'all just don't like
1: fun is what's going on
0: here. And I get it. Like, if, if that's the rule and you're holding up to the letter of the law, then fine. But why we are not- Here we not- go again. Letter like- of the law discussion. It's like, okay, man, sure, you know? Like there's, there was nothing wrong with that play. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm sorry. I know Kentucky fans are going to disagree with it, but it was such a pivotal play. And it doesn't guarantee that Mizzou gets the ball back and scores a touchdown because that's still what they needed. And that Mizzou Mm -hmm. offense is just woof, but it still would have set them up in very favorable position to be able to have that go ahead score with two and a half minutes left. But nonetheless, Mizzou's fourth sec loss by seven points or less this year. Their scoring differential in SEC play is minus two. <laughs> that sucks, man. Absolutely sucks. That that's been the story of the year. They just find new ways to be able to to lose. Um, and yeah, they are uh, in a in a very frustrating spot to be in because you see this defense just playing friggin' tail off, and for whatever reason, just one thing after another happens to find them out of ways to win and maybe you could say ah, oh, they got a little bit lucky against vandy because i thought that spot last week was very suspect and i thought vandy converted the first down but zoo mm-hmm. is just always on the wrong side of these things that's just the way that it works
1: it's we are again looking at the end of year three for drinking i'm just like what type of team is this like it's just like the first year it was five and five so it was encouraging in 2020 they beat lsu obviously it was like a good like starting point year and it feels like every year has just been like that year two like in three it's like the cop movie
0: sequels i don't know man he gets the extension we find out yeah um, two-year extension blake baker gets an extension to that guy extend that man know. yeah that guy's yeah. doing a great um, job i don't think anybody would argue with that but um i think there are a lot of people that are like wait a minute what he just got an extension we thought he was going to be on the hot seat the south carolina win was huge it, yeah. it was and you can bet that drinks people wanted to capitalize on that in the home mm-hmm. stretch of recruiting instead of having the coach who was still without a first extension until after year three, because as we should remember from Dan Mullen, that's a bit awkward and in this case, it would have been especially awkward because he's got a different person at the AD spot than the one who hired him. And that mm-hmm. always makes it a little bit interesting. So not sure what those buyout numbers look like yet with drink, but like with Mullen, I wonder if, the, if they stayed around the same, and if it was a verbal agreement as well with that contract that, Hey, uh, we're going to give you this, this, you know, these extra two years on your deal, you're now on a contract through what, like 2027. You're going to turn the offense over. That's right. That's happening. Um, that's inevitable transfer portal quarterback, new offensive coordinator, unless for whatever reason, he decides that Sam horn is, is able to, to play and kind of be the guy. But my guess would be transfer portal quarterback is going to be the way to go with Sam horn kind of as the, the likely, Back up. Any other thoughts on Mizzou before I um, say a thing about Kentucky, who was very fortunate to come out of this one with a win?
1: Yeah, I just, it's it's wild, man. Like, I just feel like Brady Cook is just, like, the most mid-quarterback I've ever seen. And I just, I don't like I said, I just, I see it over and over. And I feel like I'm watching the same movie with Mizzou. And it's like, maybe just an offensive play caller would change it. Because to your point, their defense is good. They have some talent in there. They have that good recruiting class come from last year. So that probably has a lot to do with the extension, too. And I, I, I whenever he brought in that recruiting class with Burden and those boys, I was like, well, okay, so is he going to be the, the guy that gets to, you know, enjoy these guys as actual players and it seems like that's what the extension more or less did is hopefully got him to where he can get his guys in but he's already in year three so it's just it's just interesting and and you would think like i said maybe an oc like a young dynamic non-shanahan oc you hear me because he's gonna (laughs) hire a shanahan guy if they let him hire somebody you know what's coming but hire hire
0: not from that tree and i think they could be okay yeah i uh i I think there's also part of it too to want to recruit your own roster and we've talked about (laughs) What's it going to look like if Luther Burden is is sitting there in the middle of November and he inevitably has teams reaching out to him and like, hey, come join forces here, come join forces there. And If you kind of have your ducks in a row and you have that figured out of what it's going to look like, it doesn't mean that they're going to have a new offensive coordinator hired by then, but at least you can kind of say, this is our vision. This is what we're planning to do. This is how we're going to attack this offense. And these are the changes that are going to be made. And now feels like Mizzou is at least taking the first step in that direction. Mm-hmm. One thing on Kentucky. Will Levis, when he can't use his legs, um, it's an injury, it's another injury waiting to happen mm-hmm. with with that offensive line. And I give him a lot of credit for staying out there, even though he still holds on to the football way too long, especially for a guy who doesn't have his legs available. Sometimes it works out and he'll hit Dane Key, who can split two defenders, score go ahead touchdown. And other times he just gets swallowed whole. And you're like, man, this is really, really tough to watch this guy when he isn't clearly at 100%. And even if he was, and even if it was at 100%, I don't know that he would all of a sudden be lighting up this defense for 35 points with an offensive line that bad. But the good news for Kentucky, Bowl eligible for the seventh consecutive season under Stoops, yeah. potentially, potentially a path to eight and four. Which, again, because I'm counting the, I'm counting the Georgia game as a loss, but they could win every other game. the The remaining, you know, Louisville, and then you know, next week they have Vandy. So, you would think there's a very favorable path to eight and four regular season ninth win in a bowl game. Um, but yeah, I, I think that defense is really good. It's kind of frustrating for Kentucky that it feels like they're not going to get to go to a New Year's Six bowl with a defense that continues to play its tail off and they've had depth issues mm-hmm. with injuries in the front seven, but JJ Weaver, those guys, they're just going to c- keep them in games. And Kentucky's clearly limited offensively without 100% best version of Will Levis. Um, but yeah, this is a, a team that's just going to grind its way through the rest of the schedule and they
1: might have to grind As their they way do. through a game against Vandy. They're grinders. The right. one thing you will be observing when you watch Mark Stoops football team
0: is some grinding buddy. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Game of the week, South Carolina, Vandy um i don't know what convinced marcus satterfield to actually get tk joiner on the field as part of like a mayo bowl like package but it happened <laughs> Listening to the pod listen unlike mike leach if you know if i i've had okay so beamer one time had a message like in response to the pod where he listened to like something from the 50 minute mark of the pot. Oh,
1: don't tell me that the cc i'm sorry guys i'm but, stupid
0: <laughs> beamer one time had a had something like that where i was like oh no no he didn't just like see a tweet he actually listened to what mm-hmm. was in here and i was like okay you never know. You never know who's got the... So I'm just saying, if, if Satterfield is listening, looking for little tips to be able to help him with his job, maybe he saw a certain tweet that I had about Jaheem Bell's snap count and how it was declining every single week and how he only got nine snaps last week. Maybe, not the craziest thing in the world, but DK Joyner actually played in a tackle football game on the offensive side of the ball. The guy that Sugar. had two touches for two yards this whole freaking season Got five touches in this game. He got to throw Mm -hmm. the ball four times. He had the long catch and and run with Juice Wells, where it was like a fake read option. Juice Wells wasn't supposed to get the ball. Joyner makes a play when it broke down. Don't you know it? He's pretty good at that. He's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Big play. Spencer Rattler had a throw to Josh Van that the Rattler apologists will drool over forever. Shout out Anthony Triage from PFF, who's probably just going to say that that's why Spencer Rattler deserves to be one of the top two quarterbacks taken in the draft. (laughs) Great moment. Cool moment. Yeah. Um, It was so good that Satterfield will probably dial it up like seven times in the next game, even though Radler kind of like threw it into traffic. The Vandy defender didn't really time the jump very well. And it was probably a throw that if you make that against like Georgia or Bama or, you know, like an upper level SEC team that gets picked off and you're like, wow, he just threw a pick in the red zone. But nice play nonetheless. Highlight real mm-hmm. play. Jaheen Bell just became South Carolina's tailback without Marshawn Lloyd. Weird, but.
1: Oh, no. More Jaheim Bell
0: touches. Uh. 16 carries, 56 <laughs> yards, but he caught three passes. Mm-hmm. I think I i yelped. I'm the only person watching this game who yelped at a very routine play because it was Jaheim Bell being targeted in the passing <laughs> game. He got 19 total touches. 19. Marcus satterfield finally. Hey being willing to to put your money where your mouth is. Stop talking about why he's like your favorite player and your favorite human being that's ever walked on this earth. And you actually are like, let's give him the football. Let's just do whatever we can to give him the football. I mean, if you weren't going to give it to him against Vandy, I don't know when you were going to give it to him against, but maybe last the week. The good place.
1: Listen, this was the week for the good place. It was,
0: just, it was had to get South Carolina had to get this one uh, bowl eligible, which is great. For, for Shane Beamer, year two, didn't want to take that step back, have those questions going into year three. But rain schedule is difficult it's really difficult, obviously. <laughs> at Florida, home against Tennessee, at Clemson, not exactly the closing slate that you would have wanted to be fighting for bowl eligibility, but you don't have to worry about that now. Um, I mean, like if they had lost to a Vandy team that appears poised now to head into 2023, still without an SEC win in the 2020s, mm-hmm. that would have been a very, very tough pill. For shame beam got
1: those boys playing hard. Okay. We played uh, hard this time against Mizzou and for a half against Ole Miss, So we're playing hard. We're having um, fun.
0: Poor guys. Poor guys. I should have put uh Anthony Orgy on the guys who deserve better the dudes who deserve better team. I don't mm-hmm. think I did. And I should have. Oops. Retroactively doing that. There you go. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't know how next week can top what we just had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say that Let's just hype up. Like every weekend is so meaningful and I can't wait to get to next week. And man, um, it, that was just an unbelievable Saturday. Uh, one that we won't forget anytime soon. Next week's slate: eh, Bama Bam. Oh, miss. Who knows how engaged is family going to be? Georgia, Mississippi state intriguing, sort of maybe for the first few minutes in that game when the cowbells are rocking and we're like, "Are is Mike Leach actually going to be able to run the ball against Georgia's defense? Probably not but at least it's loud and who knows, maybe Georgia will look somewhat hung over from last week. Probably not going to happen though. Um, I, I, I'm i not allowed to be saying anything negatively about Georgia. So I regret saying that hundred um, percent, but yeah, uh, that's the slate. That's what it looks like. LSU, Arkansas as well. Um, should be an interesting one. Um, yeah. Well, I lost you again. We good. Yeah, we're living. All right. That's good. That's all that matters. We're living after a day in which, your boy took it on the chin. Um, crow, belly full of it. Belly full of it, Georgia fans. I hope that apology sufficed. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe. Join the Facebook group here named Red On Air. with figure it out. Or Gold and brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.